0: Welcome to An Podcast. We are back in the same echoey location as we were last week. We've defrosted Vicky. <sighs> I
1: need a drink. <laughs> There's a
2: fucking room full of drinks next door. That's the, the one advantage of recording in this goddamn echoey fucking garage. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, we were deep in a pit of Gene Clark. Gene Clark is the ex member of the Birds who recorded and released an album called No Other, as well as a whole host of other things and I fucking love this record Uh, I brought it to the table um,
0: We're
2: going to get dug back into that Mark, is there any quick admin you want to do?
0: Yeah so what th- One thing we really enjoy Is when people Share our episodes online uh, Yes we, we get a lot of people That retweet it but actually get bands Themselves retweeting it as well And not only does it Make us feel great By bringing more ears To the, the awesome that, stuff That, was, that we as do we mentioned last week That was one of the Amazing things that loaded, did Like mm-hmm. shared the episode That was fucking incredible yeah. yeah But it also gives us An opportunity to Entice people To come and join Our Extended family on the record club where we can actually use some of the money we get to give to actual artists that need that way far beyond what they would get if you just streamed their album yeah, on
2: Spotify. Like like a factor of like ten thousand, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um yeah. So if you if you go back through our catalogue or if anything jumps into your mind of an episode that you particularly enjoyed, or as as we said, we covered low, if there's any episode historically that you just fancy sharing on your socials it helps us pick up a handful of other people and those people all mount up you know if if one of every 100 listeners turns into a sub it really helps us keep this going and it really helps the bands that then you know, get to every sem-
1: person counts.
2: Every person counts. That's true. So please, uh, whether you're a sub or not, we'd really appreciate you just share stuff in your socials if you have the time to do that. That is a, a money-free way to, to to lend us your support, mm-hmm. and it, it's appreciated. Now, uh, let's get dug back into the the world of Gene Clark. Sure. I mean, before we go into another, any quick musings on that back catalogue or. Like super
0: country stuff aside, I was I was actually really surprised at how the side of Americana and country and folk that he, that he does that I like it all sounds quite contemporary. I think in a lot of ways, you know, um, artists that I like aren't really doing anything that's a million miles away from that now. And he was doing that back then, and he started off as a pop songwriter, which I think is also a really interesting thing to think about. And he decided when the birds fucked off and. He was left just doing his own thing. He seemed to get even more hillbilly. But the start of that journey, I think, is quite interesting. And this is going to be an interesting discussion. So let's get into it. So, no other.
2: 1974 came out in Asylum Records briefly. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. It generally criticised or derided by critics on release. one uh, exemption from that. And one that uh, is on the right side of history is Billboard, who called it at the time a magnificent effort. But clearly in in the long term it found far more favour. John Dale, writing for Uncut for example, said uh, Part of no other's magic is its ambition. Clark's desire to reach for a music well beyond the pop, country and folk rock he'd already pioneered. That vision, enabled by a producer who didn't really seem quite to know when to rein things in, is matched here by songs that take on the very essence of existence as their métier. It would read as ridiculous if it wasn't so powerful, but part of the joy of no other is the way it skirts the improbable, the laughable. Sometimes throwing it down for all to hear means you've got to take some big risks. And and, and it really does take a lot of risks, um, which we've obviously kind of hinted at already. Can I, can I ask you
0: a question about that, right? Yeah. I think it takes a lot of risks in terms of genre and, and the way it, m- it really cleverly melds genres. Everything that, that's been said about this record says that it's big and maximalist, and I don't hear that. No. Don't hear that at all. Mm. I think everything is exactly what it should be. I don't think there's any excess on this at all. And I think that's probably quite calculated, in my opinion.
2: But is that by virtue of hindsight? You I don't know. know because We're it... not from this era. And for me, like for, like I said, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, that must be a modern album. And the guy's like, no, this is from 74.
0: I think the Beatles were doing stuff that sounded bigger than this. Ah, but they're
2: famous for it.
0: Yeah. It, it's kind of like, with that. Why, you turn up to 11, why do you just go to 10 and make everything else a bit louder? You know, it's like, well... If someone's already been eleven, then at what point does this kind of music,
2: this style of music, I mean, it, it's easy to take for granted, though. But this, this is a, this is a, a just a single white guy with a, a, a guitar, or at least he was, in a number hmm. of his other records, guitar and harmonica, bringing in dozens of of gospel backing singers, hmm. bringing in brass sections, bringing in synthesizers, bringing in violins, full string sections, bringing in bells and chimes, bringing in like ambient noises and it's very layered Yeah, and, no, and even totally. though the layers are not excessively loud again it's not city by strapping young lad mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it, it's dense there are a lot of, if this was a yeah. desk there'd be a lot of channels Definitely. lighting up here you know? yeah
0: but I I do think that there's a lot going on in this record and it's one of the reasons why I think it's by far and be the best thing you ever did which we'll get to I guess at the end of this but I just think about like people that were as contemporaries were just doing stuff which was much more fanciful and that's why, I think, that's why I don't think it's maximalist. I think it's just everything is exactly where it needs to be. No. And there's a lot of different things in it,
2: and well, that's fine. Let's but. put it this way. No one song touches as many bases as A Day in the Life. But the parts, the sections of A Day in the, Li- in the Life are, are no more layered than this album. Do you know what I mean? So the song doesn't do that kind of mini rock or pop opera thing, mm. but it does, in each individual song, have as many components as each individual component of that Day in the Life track I think a good comparison Of what I'm trying to say Is maybe not the Beatles but probably the
0: Beach Boys Or Brian Wilson generally You know That to me is maximalist mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily loud either A lot of the time I don't know. I, I don't think my is a bad thing. I love I love those things. I love maximalism. I think it's like in music, it's one of the things that I'm drawn to. I just think this is like really well conceived. I don't I don't think there's too much of anything. When I hear maximalist, it means like far too fucking much going on. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing.
2: Everything here is just right where it needs to be and I like that. Okay. <laughs> um, well the production of it, uh, you know, as was suggested, went way over budget. Well over a hundred thousand at the time, which is a hundred thousand in early seventies money. Yeah,
1: five hundred and twenty five
2: thousand in twenty eighteen. I think even that's wow. a bit of an underestimation, to be honest. Well I'd read between a hundred thousand and two hundred thousand back then. Yeah, back then and yeah, I think it would be considerably more now and you know especially as well when you consider Gene Clark's lack of chart success at that point once since he'd left the Birds as we said the records that came before this flopped so it's it a substantial investment by Geffen's label um there's some debate actually of, of, over whether this was originally going to be a double album um, yeah. That apparently the label had coshed because of spiralling costs Clark had actually said that in an interview in the mid-70s I think Supposedly he demoed 14 songs but only 9 ended up being recorded um, However, we years of archival work since It doesn't seem that any of those other tracks ever got very far off the boards his wife at the time uh, As we said earlier on Denies he was using I mean the, the album Sounds like There's a fair amount Of drugs involved mm-hmm. But his wife denies that In the writing process Gene Clark said uh, Quote I would just sit In the living room Which had a huge bay window And stare at the ocean For hours at a time In many instances With the no other album After a day of meditation Looking at something Which is a very natural force I'd come up with something
1: Yeah
2: um, He said that the album owed a lot to The Stones goat head soup Or goat's head soup Is that the name it? and Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions. They were the two records that he was spinning a lot at the time. As we said, we mentioned the producer, Thomas Jefferson Kay. He's got a lot to do with it. I mean, he was massively into Spectre, massively into Abbey Road Productions and really wanted to try and emulate that to some extent. Um, Sly Stone apparently played a big role here as well. He was, he was at a present at a lot of the sessions and is credited with having quite a big impact on the kind of funkier... Uh, elements of sound and perhaps maybe the, that kind of gospel approach to the vocals I mean if you're talking about Stevie Wonder that makes sense as yeah. well you know especially, especially with the gospel especially
1: that album mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and if Slystones around then yeah yeah he was around Um apparently Clark, as we said, was affable and genial throughout the sessions, the collaborators found it to be a good experience um, But that original abstinence that we mentioned didn't last uh, once he relocated to Hollywood for the actual recording sessions His family initially came with him, but his wife was really angry at the sudden newfound appetite for coke Which was the big thing of the era It doesn't sound like a coke record You know, it's not—it's not wired. It's it's true, but um, his wife ended up moving back to Mendocino, leaving him to get increasingly fucked up. As regards the album itself. Uh, and possible reasons That it bombed uh, David Geffen the, uh, You know Asylum Records Barely promoted it yeah. They were fucking furious At the budget They were also really unhappy At the lack of singles on it
1: that, But it doesn't make sense If you've put such a big budget Into something To then not promote it Does it not? Surely you're trying to Claw back some of the money That you've put into Is It's it? that
2: money Good money after bad though I mean mm-hmm. they, they also looked at it And said After giving you all this money Apparently they were furious That there were only 8 tracks on it They were like Why is there 8 tracks? And he was like There's 8 great tracks What's the problem? Oh yeah, and, and they were like, well, none of them are singles.
1: I want, yeah, exactly. And I wonder, do you think that do you think that record labels are affected by criticisms and things like that in the press that the albums get?
2: I think they live very much by the bottom line. I mean, the Julia Thirteen album told us that. You know, that there's a, that that album had I don't know a lot, like five zeros sunk into it. Then the label basically said, yeah, we spent that, but. What's the point of spending another five to six zeros? You know, it's the money's gone; it's not coming back. But we're not going to waste more. They're quite ruthless about these things. You know, there's financial departments call the shots a lot.
0: Imagine there's probably an element of tax write-off as well. It's Hollywood accounting through and through. Same in record labels. You know, it's, you can make some of it disappear somehow. The mm-hmm. money, you know. So
2: um, the producer said. Uh, quote, we were trying to make a real piece of art and we thought that David Geffen, being a really artsy guy, would get it, but he didn't. I think it just went over his head uh, and Asylum Records deleted it from their own catalogue after only two years.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, on Clark's reaction to the album's treatment, according to his brother, David, uh, quote, he put everything into that, everything, heart, soul, money, everything he had, he poured into that thing because it was going to be his reclamation and when they killed it, it killed him.
0: Which is fucking really sad. Can so we explain the super country
2: direction that followed soon after? Yeah, maybe. Mm. Uh, reissues, it, it, it was first reissued uh, on CD in 1989 by a little German label called Line. Clark died two years after that and obviously as always happens interest in his work kind of peaked it was then reissued by oh my god Warner Strategic Marketing the name of which just fucking blew my mind there's a record company out there called Warner Strategic Marketing that's that's who you want that's in. you know they're really behind your product mm-hmm. um, that came out in 2003 and that had that extra track train leaves here this morning as I said there were nine tracks that actually got recorded but there's only eight on the original version
0: I look right at the facts there, but I'm. May...
2: Greenleaves here this morning was added as a bonus and then as we mentioned with Ivor Watch Russell it was reissued in 2019 by 4AD properly having been remastered at Abbey Road of all places. Um, that reissue is pretty important because it's a hugely extended version I and mean, as we said w- Watch Russell was a big fan of Clark. The 4AD paid a lot of respect to artists of that era and so it kind of made sense that they would be the ones putting it out. They released a load of different versions of this, including multiple discs, ones with books, ones with seven inches, uh, big, big old bumper box set things. Um, there are multiple CD versions of it and the the other CDs feature really early takes on it and they lack that mega production and it's nice to hear them stripped back and stuff and the naked takes but they lose that, I mean we'll debate it, but they lose an element of that maximalism and so they lose a sense of proginess as a result. Did you guys listen to the original or did you listen to the extended versions? It's a lot of stuff, the extended versions.
1: Mm, I think it was the original I listened
2: to. I don't fuck with extended versions man. Well see, because I'm really invested in this one, I did weigh through the extended stuff and it's a lot like version 4, version 2, version 1 all that kind of stuff just to pick out a couple of those ones some of the extended version bonus tracks do offer a bit of insight Silver Raven the second version is Stevie Wonder as fuck
1: Have you seen
0: Silver Raven She has
2: wings And she can fly like it's so Boppy and spanky um, Life's Greatest Food Version 2 Is also a nice one It's got a much More country flavour To it
0: is 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 this the
1: only life for It's already Got a very it's quite country, country the
2: favorite. other one's <laughs> Slidy as fuck um, But the vocal take's Not quite as good in it From a Silver File Version 2 Has loads of country twang in it Strength of Strings Version 1 Kind of sounds a bit like the band Cream. It's got loads of falsettos at the start. Um, some misunderstanding version one. Totally different approach. It's sad. It's really slow, and it's got this kind of twinkly jangliness to it.
0: Both of us need inspiration, and the timing must be right. And
2: uh, no other version one is much more stripped back and kind of slightly funky all no Doesn't have that dirty guitar, which I think gives the, the song a lot of its character. Um, it, it makes you click your fingers rather than mosh, if you know what I mean. It's less rocky, uh, although the vocal take on version one is also fucking outstanding. Never know where the money went to. They spent all the time you working oh, the exactly. song. This so 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 many versions of these songs, yeah, and they all obviously had to be arranged and stuff as well. So it's a lot of time. But let's talk about the eight tracks that are on the actual album. Track one: Life's Greatest Fool.
1: Someone Can it be said at any
0: price
2: This is the cost Quite simply, this song is a fucking delight It just, it bounces its way in It lifts the spirits It's got a really Wes Anderson quality to it It reminds me of O Yoko and Rushmore Um, I feel I could imagine this In a, mm-hmm. in a Wes Anderson film yeah.
1: Really? I don't get that At all
0: <sighs> It's the honky tonk piano Which gives me that vibe To be honest Like the, the, the Wes Anderson feel I could
1: flip Oh yeah yeah I see what you mean and Right Summer
0: mm-hmm. street This is, this, is, this, is this, this kind of shit is catnip for him. This kind of music, so it's like yeah. all of this could fit in any way, dancing, form. I think
1: it's kind of growing on me. But at first, listening to it. It's to me just the country thing with the gospel choir was not something that I liked at first. But um, as times going on, it's it's a dead memorable. So like kind of like even today when I was at work, it was coming into my head. You know. So it's yeah. obviously it's getting in there.
2: A bit like Wes Anderson as well It's got a tiny whiff of melancholy You know it's warm and it's joyous and it's upbeat But it does have a tiny little bit of, of sadness in it um, I love the rich backing vocals in it I think they really set off the chorus The, the honky tonk piano is obviously a bit cheesy But it really it's works Of the era as well Yeah it, it's got a nice throbbing bass in it There's a line in it You you held the key to your destiny gone Where the, vocals, the backing vocals just come in so fucking beautifully Um Verse 3 in it as well, it comes back in, but this time it comes in with this layer of oohs and ahs mm-hmm. underneath mm-hmm. it, which I think is a beautiful step up. I mean, it was spoken in the past as well about, you know, Weezer, Bad Religion, bands like that, where the backing vocals are so fucking good that sometimes they're what you end up singing instead of the main vocal, and I'm I'm like that in this song. I love the backing vocals on it. I think it works really, really well. Yeah, it's when it's the, it's the I was saying earlier on about... The risks it's taken In
0: terms of melding genres This is Americana With gospel yep. Influences And it really works I love a slight guitar I love country I love that Like that's the thing I enjoy Not want to See when over, you're not, saying that not, You should finish the word country Because <laughs> I love the country guitar <laughs> <laughs> um, But, but that's, When that's I think that can be overdone And it's, it's quite It's, it's an, on this whole record That's in the
2: level I enjoy yeah, it, Of that I, kind of I guitar playing yeah. Or lap steel or, or pedal steel Whatever it is Yeah totally you know? And even mm-hmm. some of the alternate takes That I was talking about They overdo it They mm-hmm. totally overcook it I agree uh,
0: Yeah I like the song a lot The bang vocals are, again Are, 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 the, are the, real, the real hook for me I mean this could easily be a single
2: Yeah I would have thought <laughs> so But Geffen disagreed
0: uh, I just want to pick up Something you said there I find every single I love when an an- Wes Anderson films I find every single film Like achingly sad I,
2: yeah, they're all They're all really I don't quickly. think there's
0: like, Very little joy in them at all Which is why I like them
2: <laughs> Anyway, carry on <laughs> Still never ever been able to get With Moonrise Kingdom But anyway um, Second track Silver Raven Flanged bass Anyone? Have you
0: seen Silver Raven She has wings And she can fly
2: I think it's lovely, that's lovely. That's that's really, really So apparently the title refers to some news story That came out about a satellite, satellite. That was 100 a hundred years ahead of contemporary raven. technology mm-hmm. Obviously some fucking mad uh, mm-hmm. Weekly world news mumbo jumbo
1: Yeah I really like us.
2: this yeah, It's on a big kind of alternative Sixties mm-hmm. folk tilt It's awesome Yeah. Mm.
0: Hey! that tremolo? He does that tremolo thing with his voice, a vibrato thing with his voice. Sorry, which is a total country stick-on. Yeah,
2: you will see actually at the end of the line "Changing River." He mm-hmm. does that little vocal inflection, "Yeah, like, yeah, totally." Like, thing that is a very mm-hmm. strong country hint as it well. It works. It really works
0: in this song. Uh, the backing vocals give me the hints hints of the Eagles. In fact, does quite a bit yes, of the Eagles there in is. this song.
2: Actually, can I, can I agree with that to some extent But I would say the backing vocals even more closely Remind me of uh, Old Man and Southern Man by Neil Young Neil, There's yeah, a lot of Neil fair. Young
1: in this mm-hmm. for me And in later tracks as well.
0: There's an organ or a piano, I think it's an electric piano or a Rhodes or an organ, which is in the background, and it kind of,
2: it's just a really nice layer of sound, you know, it really, really helps lift a song so this tune is the one that most regularly appears on like live sets and bootlegs and stuff and I believe that this tune had also been written as part of one of those other projects that we mentioned earlier on so it had a bit of a it had a bit of added significance to him in terms of where his career was at at that time Mm -hmm. the third track no other um, title track this is what got me into this I love it Man, I, I mean, as as good as it, the record is overall, this is the most truly remarkable moment on this album for me. Where the fuck did this song come mm-hmm. from? It, it's so stand out to me. That it reminds me of The Electrician from the, the Walker Brothers album. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? A track that yeah. the production and the approach is so interesting and it, it, it's such a bold statement on an otherwise kind of neo-youngish 60s record that it just elevates the entire fucking album. I get that it builds from a quite basic bluesy groove thing, but I mean you hear that on the the, out, the outtakes on the on the addition the other versions, the alternate versions, it's quite a simple song. But the way they've approached it on this one, that druggy, fuzzed out, dreamy approach to it is so far ahead of its time.
1: Fuzziness I, I think for me and it maybe ties in a wee bit with the song before as well. It's got that kind of like space manny kind of vibe that you get off of David. Obviously David Bowie's right Into Spaceman in the early 70s And everything right But there's just something about it That it has that kind of Sci-fi feel
0: Yeah um, So I think this song Is really 70s right um, And it's because It's a really It's got a whole lot of R&B in it it makes sense of sly storms in the room and that sci-fi vibe we're talking about that's that that's the kind of vibe you get from parliament or funkadelic Mm -hmm. you know yeah
1: it's the funkiness
0: yeah and both of those things for me were like we were saying earlier on that it sounded like to you that it came out like yesterday i don't get that at all because of those because those exact references you know that that r&b feel and i love it i think it's a fucking amazing song man It's it's the best song on the record but it just is very, very
2: R and B almost to me. It's it's interesting like how it. subjective that is then, because to me, the snaking guitar lines, that heavily modulated guitar tone. Why is there not a Queen's of the Stone Age cover of this song? You know, this to me sounds like Queen's of the Stone Age. It sounds yeah. like Masters of Reality. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I yeah, would it, it it, even at times reminds me a wee bit Alice in Chains. You know, in their subdued moments, I mean, they could have smashed this tune when they did Unplugged, when they did MTV Unplugged. <laughs> It's got that proto-grunge. It's
0: got a chugging chorus song. to it, yeah. yeah.
1: But it's a strange song, I feel, because. He starts off I feel like there's real like almost pain in his voice at times and his voice like crackles at times when he's singing but then see when it does that wee funky line but at the end of each line it takes (laughs) it in a completely different direction It's it's
2: funny you mention that because the incessant bongo that first it's 2 minutes 25 when they do it the first time it always makes me smile because I mean who does that? Like, who does that fucking Blast beat bongo blast Is it not beat? a cowbell Is it not a cowbell I, I, I think it's it like is? A small bongo But it's either a plastic Or a wood block, Or it's like a really Small bongo drum But it's played Like blast beat mm. style. <laughs> Who the mm. fuck Came up with that yeah. that's, that's what the song Needs guys Blast beat
0: bongo I like the end Because it's got It's like a half chorus It's like it's like half of the chorus It's a refrain And it's got the, the Female backing vocal Becoming more prominent yeah. Which is just a really Nice yeah, way that, to end
2: the song Gospel backing oh. vocal Is fucking excellent mm-hmm. as well. Can I just
1: I'm going to put small bongo metallic cowbell in the bank of child appropriate insults that I can (laughs) say (laughs) small bongo
2: (laughs) Uh, track 4 Strength of Strings A tune that reminds me a lot of Neil Young. Uh, the totally, that's way... what
1: I've said. Mm-hmm. Most Neil S- Young sounding song. Part of that, I think it sounds like words.
2: Yeah, and and part of that I think is because he sings at the uppermost level of his register, and so he, his voice is ever so slight his voice is ever so slightly. I keep lisping on that. What's going on with that? His voice is ever so slightly strangled. Ah! Yeah! Really effective. It's, I mean, it's really angsty. It's it's a lament in the song, but then again, it does have this kind of playful release of the tension when that vocal starts mm-hmm. following the guitar line, which is quite a kind of it's quite a light-hearted thing to do in the context of quite a downbeat song. Yeah. Um, that technique, when you listen to the alternate versions of this song, wasn't actually on there and so I'm really pleased that they went with that vocal following the guitar line thing on this because mm-hmm. it really lightens it um, and, and to be honest, talking about the maximalist credentials of this record, I think this is quite a grandiose tune when it gets, when it gets going it gets pretty big <laughs>
0: Yeah it does get pretty big It's a pretty big song towards the end I really like the intro And the slide guitar and acoustic guitar and bass All pointing together At first I was a bit like Oh he's he's just following the guitar with the vocal But then that goes off and does his own thing And his vocal goes off and does his own thing And it really really works for me Um, And there's a lot To me it feels like the slide guitar and the bass Just dance around the vocal Points in the song Which is really engaging for me It feels like something from a 70s film Almost like a Black Exploitation vibe Again, mm-hmm. coming back to the R&D sly. thing yeah. You know, it's a slight all over And he's, he's bending notes with his voice again Doing that vibrato thing And it gives it like an almost otherworldly kind of feel um, But it's a fucking great song This is the one that gets stuck in my head the most weirdly I mm-hmm. don't know what I think it's tan. I think it's like
2: proper, yeah The, 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 fuck, the cover version of this by the, This Mortal Coil is Fucking amazing Really good pitch black take on it. It's it's dynamite. Um the fifth track in it from a silver file. She
0: was on The
2: in the really interesting structure of the song. Um are those the "Don't Look Back in Anger" opening chords? I believe they actually are. Um, but this has a, a more traditional, mournful Americana feel, absolutely, yeah. than Strength of Strings. Um, but uh, it's a welcome reprieve from that grandiosity. It's delivered in a much more kind of modern country vein. Um, the track resolves with this kind of slightly redemptive seventh organ chord like it's it's an odd chord choice but it resolves it in a really nice way and it towards the end of the song it lifts its head towards optimism mm-hmm. having been quite downbeat um as i said Hey, Jean Clark was apparently nicknamed the hillbilly Shakespeare and there are some fucking incredible lyrics in this tune uh, a, a couple of them that really jump out said she saw the sword of sorrow <laughs> sunken in the sand of searching souls see when you're lisping that is 65,
1: fucking... 66 <laughs> so that guy at AM Tune the fat was there not a character in that that was like shh can I have 66 sweet Shan mm. Wadrush.
2: Mm. <laughs> yeah, Vicky, Vicky, you read that line.
1: <laughs> Said she saw the sword of sorrow sunken in the sand of searching souls. <laughs>
0: uh, I cannot abide alliteration. One of the things that I, was, that I was taught when I was doing Creative Writing in Uni was um, alliteration is a sign Of an immature writer <laughs> I don't think that's Necessarily true at all But um, It always comes back to me Whenever I do Whenever I do alliteration myself Or whenever I
2: see Excessive alliteration I
1: don't know
2: I can't hear it again Yeah, It's all, you go. all essays in it So Oh <laughs> fuck So, 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 I, so I, I grew up with a lisp Right And it still does come out On the show As I oh. know Because people fucking Point it out sometimes <laughs> right? Who, who points it out? Oh just Some of your
1: foreign tell
2: me, listeners Tell me after the um, show it's, it's bullying Really uh, I'll get it really it. is I'll get Bullying right? So When you try to then say the line Said she saw the sword of sorrow Sunken in the sand of searching souls It's not that easy for your self esteem (laughs) (laughs) your self esteem -esteem. Let's do a Sean Connery version I can do that one Uh, Shed she saw the sword of sorrow (laughs) Sunken in the sand of searching souls Said she saw Right, um, another one Took her magic master's words and sung And made his lower self worthwhile And I just love the line Falling in the dark and rain as well It's a fucking beautiful song It's it's really deceptively deep uh, mm-hmm. uh, In the lyricism
0: It's back to the country vibes again But it's, it's got a gospel vac- bo- gospel backing vocal Which is really nice mm-hmm. The guitar solo kind of floats between the eagles and the beatles for me With that, with that wah In parts, it sounds very like a, a John Lennon guitar solo. At other times, it sounds like a how the fuck's the guitar player in the Eagles? Clint Frey, I think. Bobby Eagle. Joe Walsh. Nobody fucking knows. Joe Walsh, Joe Walsh. <laughs> he could have made anything up uh-huh. and valuable seconds. I know. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I like this song. It's, it's deceptive, you're right. It's deceptively dense, I think. Mm. Track six Some misunderstanding.
2: This is the one that Mark Lanigan covered. I see my
0: life me
2: and I like it starts with some. Low- Light and unusual guitar interplay You know, see when you're listening to earphones It's Mm -hmm. it's quite interesting And there's a couple of deliberately, I presume deliberately Dissonant little guitar notes and lifts in there I mean, given the time they spent in the song I don't think they're in there by accident, okay They're they're odd musical choices Mm -hmm. They're quite off-kilter, which is cool Um, It's quite a downbeat, quite a pessimistic number But with a different delivery again More alt-folk than country Definitely, yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's also... The, the, the tempo of it is slow enough to make it feel a bit more modern it's a bit more unusual you know you didn't really tend to get that many alt folk songs that were this down tempo um the chorus though I think flowers softly into something much much bigger and, and the, the the backing vocals mount up very gradually in the background the low ones um but I- It's a longer tune uh, Largely thanks to The fact that they include A couple of spells Of them ripping into these Bits of noodling But I mean I really like it It's, it's a bit of an epic for it uh, The covers are, the, the Lanigan And the, the, the soul Savers Covers also really good I love,
0: the, I love the keyboard The intro It does feel kind of okay in the, the verses But the chorus has got Cospo The O's and A's has... Big gospel track Which really elevates it You know um, I think the keyboard sound Generally actually helps To elevate the song too It makes it feel a lot bigger And then see towards the end When the strings come in And there's, there's like A really distorted guitar as well Which is really out of place f- On this record But it's quite It's quite low in the mix But it's heavily distorted That's,
2: pr- that's a product cool. of the time It was spent in that studio You know I mean That that doesn't get there If you're racing through These things That's in there Because they They, fucking, they were indulgent You know
1: uh, true one. you can sit it's so hard to get back home.
2: I mean, frankly, my least favourite song
0: on yeah. the whole album This, this was when earlier on when I said there's some things this is falls on the
2: wrong side of country from Yeah, this the simplest mm-hmm. tune here, country rock buoyant. Loads of vocal twang in it The tune itself is fine The chorus is fine But I'm just not a fan of the style It's the only part of the album Where I feel a bit disappointed Ironically though I'm sure that actually this song probably went a long way to being a redeeming feature for many of the the fans of his later era who found this album a bit too unorthodox. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you got into him through the country stuff that he brought out later on, um, especially the collaborative country stuff, this is probably much closer to what you were digging. Yeah.
1: Um, Mean that there's people listening to this album just for that song?
2: Probably. This is probably their (laughs) takeaway
0: tune. Yeah. I think it's disappointing because it lacks any of the innovation or any of the bigger risks yeah, the record takes. It? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And again, I mean, there's alternate takes of it, um, but none of them really do anything particularly inspiring with it. Uh, but he does finish on something much better uh, Lady of the North, a really nice ending tune. Um, apparently, this was the result of a total coke bender with Doug Dillard. Try. It doesn't sound like a coke song mm-hmm. to me But ap- apocryphally that's it um, It's slightly languid um, It's not as pessimistic as some of the tunes prior And it does have some really fun Instrumental inclusions It's got a bunch of brass on it It's got yeah. a, f- a fiddle on it which is quite nice mm-hmm. They drop out at 2 minutes 40 Gene does this whole bit But mainly just him and piano And I think it's, that moment is evidence of the ambition of the record Because when you hear mm-hmm. the alternate takes They don't quite go for that Then they do on this take And and it's just a gorgeous little moment of tenderness. High above
0: the clouds we
1: lay in the grass in the
2: I really like it. Um, I think that the song itself actually sounds quite emotionally fatigued, but without being defeatist. Um, like it's optimistic, but it's tired. You know, it, it's upbeat, but it's slow, and it just the energy is draining. It's, it's why I think it works so well at the end. And it also picks a really nice little hooky downward riff, uh, which is a great way to finish the album before it kind of blisses out in that effects-laden crescendo that it does.
0: Oh, 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 yeah, that, that that's one of the things I highlighted. There, that descending progression towards the end is a really clever bit. I think that the fiddle is, I only found out recently. I think was it maybe you told me this that. The difference between a fiddle and a violin is just the way it's played. Yeah. Yeah, aye. And it, like, it works that, that with weeping side Guitar is the, is the alt, well, I was going to say alt country, this was not alt country, the Americana that I like on a melancholy vibe. Yeah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Lovely gospel piano and rock bass. It's like all these different disparate influences come together and make this weird thing, you know?
2: Born and, of the sheer amount of time that was spent on it, though, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That, that huge budget. This is reaping the rewards of that time, you know? These disparate influences, when you hear the alternate takes, which, you know, version one, version two, that could have been the ones that made the album, but they weren't, because they were like, let's try something a bit more unusual, Mm. you know? It pays
0: off. It feels like, it kind of feels like a definitive statement for the album as well, just in terms of ambition, Mm -hmm. you know? it, It comes at the end of the record,
2: but it feels like the perfect combination. I just, I also think the album is tonally nicely balanced. It starts so upbeat, it finishes reasonably optimistic, but. But fatigued It has that Okay it's got that True one in there Which we'll kind of Leave out But it's got some Really emotionally Low points Some really yearning points Some kind of Bopping points as well Some really rocking bits A couple of solos It's got a really nice Emotional flow You're not stuck in one Place You're not up here And you're not stuck Down there Either It it, it takes you on a wee Emotional journey And I I really like that There's thought Being put into Where it leaves you
0: You know Mm. I think that, That's why I think Everything's perfectly placed In this record Maximism Also in my head Is like throwing shit Everything at the wall mm. And hoping it all
2: sticks This is just The thing is I think they did When you hear the outtakes You can hear They've tried Fucking loads of stuff mm. But then They've whittled it down Quite well you know, an eight-track album from fucking all those hours and hours and hours. I mean, I, I was going to say it puts me in mind of discing a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> what you
0: mean, eh? creation. Uh, it's just, it sounds like an album that was created in the studio. <laughs> do, you, do
2: you know what it puts me in mind of? In a really weird way, it puts me in mind of Magnolia Electric Company. Yeah, been
0: doing
2: I mean clearly that is a much sadder record But a lot of the aesthetics And a lot of the sense of quiet tragedy And optimism, the country The balance of the country The unusual recording techniques The expansiveness of some of the songs The layering It has a similarity I'm not saying it sounds the same for a second But it has. A, there's some consistent element between the two That, that puts me in mind of it I mean I'm, I'm going to be accused of overstating things But for me this is one of the albums of the 70s i'm i'm not a huge fan of a lot of the music of the 70s it's the era that probably does the least for me um but in terms of american rock certainly this is this is one of the best things i've heard um i know there's a lot of competition there but i do stand by that it, it makes it for me Is one of the most suitable candidates We've ever had in the show They've Deleted after two years from it's catalogue Had all this potential Not just the guy himself But the album itself The way it, it had a lot of bad luck It was overlooked And he's famous but yet Well he's kind of famous He's band or famous But yet nobody actually knows you, you say the name Gene Clark People are like Oh it's kind of familiar Who's that It ticks so many boxes About what this programme is trying to do For people you know um, it, it's the epitome of an outstanding album for me that, that missed the mark um, It shunned at the time revered in the long term musically and sonically terrific ambitious, emotive somewhat tragic I just think it has to be on, on, on our list Okay,
1: mm-hmm. th- thank you um, I really like it I think you guys are talking about it being a big album or like maximalist for me it is a lot to take in to be honest I mean, I think it's good. It's really, really good. And every time I listen to it, I like it more. And I think that I'm going to end up really, really loving it. It's up my street in terms of the kind of music that I listen to. I just think that it is quite a rich record and there's a lot to take in for me anyway. I think that I don't really get so much of it being a druggy album, even though that is the background and... Well, it isn't. It
2: isn't. That's the weird thing. It isn't in the writing, mm-hmm. but apparently the, the the recording had quite a bit. But it's doesn't cool. Doesn't sound you know, like you're know, talking either. about bags of weed or psychedelics. You know, you're talking about cocaine.
1: But but it is very seventies in a, in terms of the how it's imagined, and um, and I, I appreciate that, and I like that it, it's taking risks. I think that's. It's really something to be be cherished, I think, at that time as well, in the 70s, that somebody was trying to do different things. I think at the same time, though, even though there is a lot in it, it's still quite like meditative or kind of warm or something. And I think that comes from the writing process. As you say, he sat in his his, uh, house and he looked out into the Pacific Ocean and it has that kind of introspective vibe, Mm. um, you know, so... um, I struggle with, I I don't dislike country I actually do really like a lot of country I like Elvis for god's sake A lot of his early stuff is really country I like Patsy Cline, I like all that stuff The kind of lonesome emotional country But some of the country stuff in this Is just uncomfortable for me to Mm -hmm. hear quite frankly
2: Just like Randall (laughs) Aubrey but on coke I guess
1: Yeah Um, Yeah, I I think
2: we we all agree on true one Being a weak point
1: I know, but I even think the first tracks are little. Uh, not, not. I don't know. It's just a little bit much for me.
0: I can, I can, I can totally get that because it, it does. I think. That song kind of epitomizes what falls on the right side of it for, yeah. for
1: me
2: personally. You know, yeah, yeah. Th- what well, absolutely, I totally get it. What I think is really interesting in terms of insight is that all the alternative versions of the first one are more country, and they made a decision like that's too much. Let's try and temper it a wee bit and okay. make it less country. And that's it that seems like quite a conscious thing on their part.
1: Yeah, um, it just might be my personal taste. I think totally. for me, what is a big pull for me, what I find tragic is how it was dismissed in the early 70s when it was released and how he took that so personally and seemed to have affected him. It sounds like he felt so slighted by that and really wronged in a way. And I think even the fact that that was how he took it is even tragic because there are so many. Like There was this uh, article that I found on yardbarker.com that had 20 awesome albums that. Chris Critics Initially Hated and it's on that along with Harvest by Neil Young which Roland Stone called um, glib <laughs> It's um, ironic
2: that because uh, the, the comment's are very glib.
1: I, I know exactly. <laughs> Wish you were here by Pink Floyd, which Melody Maker says displays a critical lack of imagination in all departments. Yikes, that's mental. Um, Pinkerton was called juvenile.
0: Yeah, that was a I remember big, that I, was a big uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. Chris hated that record when it came out. Yeah,
1: on the corner. By Miles Davis was called Repetitious Crap there's just, uh, I wish that he could have, I wish he could have been appreciated while he was alive and I know that there was a big revival of it afterwards And but I still feel like, I mean I'd never heard of it until you brought it to my attention not that I've heard of everything in the world, I'm not saying that, like oh I've never heard of it but you know, why haven't I heard of this album? So much of it ticks the boxes for me I mean for me the, the, the most um obvious thing listening to it the thing comes through strongest to me and first listening I did have loads of Neil Young and obviously I love Neil Young but um, also a lot of like Walker Brothers Scott Walker kind of vibes um, so yeah I think I think it's great I think I'm going to love it even more than than I like it right now I think I'm going to end up loving it and um, thank you for, for letting me hear it
0: I think it's a fantastic record, it's really great Um, This is the moment where uh, a Frankensteiner you Off the top rope (laughs) On the announce table It's not
2: immediately clear to me this is unsung Unbelievable, listen to that Fucking stupidity man, what is that?
0: So this is on, this is in the 100 1,001 albums you've listened to before you you die Every single ranking website has it In the top 10 70s records Of all time, widely acclaimed And then reissued multiple times And expanded versions That doesn't happen to unsung records, man. But
1: I had never heard of it, man. I'd
0: never heard of the Disney Club either. So, (laughs) you know,
1: (laughs) well, never heard of it. So, I mean. You hadn't heard of it either?
0: I know, but uh, like,
2: you're, you're, what you said was totally right though. Did I you? Know, haven't, I haven't heard of everything ever. Just, you know what I mean? Did like, you? Did you even know who Gene Clark was before I fucking explained? I knew the birds were. Yeah. No, but did you know who Gene Clark was? Because I didn't. I like, knew. See I was like Gene Clark, I know that name. That that. I mean that alone. Again,
0: you're just you're not, you're not disproving anything there. Just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's not. Well, what you're telling it's me true. is that
2: 20 journalists at fucking Mojo and Uncut knew knew that it was great, but that I mean, what my point is that in the fucking pantheon of 70s albums, some of which. I round off earlier on, which I think it's better Than every single fucking one of those that I mentioned Like, it's not even Remotely near the same level Of public awareness, there may be Some vinyl collector fucking hipsters At these dad magazines That that, that rate it, and books Like Thousand One Albums, whatever, but It's just never, I mean it was fucking Out of print for like, yeah it was definitely unsung At the time, 95% of his existence Definitely, (laughs) at the time, yeah
0: But when I, but, but uh, I mean, it's, it, the whole this album's got 94% on Metacritic, right? Or well, 94 out of 100, really. Which means it's definitely come back into public consciousness in a huge way. Yeah, it was on at sort of the time yeah. because it wasn't out. Uh-huh. But, you know, time has moved on. People have come to appreciate it. There's obviously tours, there's obviously Beach House and every other cunt did that tour. I'm not saying that it's hugely famous I'm not claiming that at all That's clearly that's clearly
2: ridiculous right <laughs> I wish you no, would Because then we could just it, d- disregard it, you
1: <laughs> The fact that all of those bands did that concert of it I think shows that it is No but, the, but the,
2: that, the reason that was special Was because people were like What the fuck is this And the reason that the gigs were successful Was because super fans of Gene Clark Travelled from fucking hundreds of miles away Because they couldn't believe Somebody also appreciated the fucking beauty of this And Iverwatch Russell Went to all that trouble Because he was like It is such a crime That this album has sunk in, Into oblivion I mean if you read The interviews with him About it He's like This album was dead It was gone From the public catalogue From the public consciousness Until we brought it back Exactly So you, so the work is somewhat done then It's no Aye. longer unsung Aye man That's right Aye, Job done <laughs> Fuck me you know.
0: I'm, I'm just, just th- I'm thinking I'm just Like I said It's not immediately clear to me If it is unsung or not I haven't made up my mind on it But I would like The audience to ponder on that Because I think I think it's an important thing You know I hope it. this is you being devil's advocate As opposed to some serious brain trauma I think well, Like I said I haven't, I haven't made up my mind I, I love the record I think it's a great record I think it deserves to go in um, But you know It's not immediately clear to me If it's on soon or not So,
2: Do you honestly think This is more famous Than Public Enemy Or Downward Spiral <laughs> Or Parliament Because um, that is fucking madness But there are You can't a are you false, nominated two of them. That's a false equivalence, mate.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> those are those are big those are big artists whose albums that we felt were unsung. Therefore, we can't really compare them.
1: That's true. It's apples and oranges.
0: It's apples and smaller
1: apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway, um, people should think about that. Um, I like the record. I think it should go on anyway, regardless. And I'm i glad I listened to it. I mean, I'll go back to this. I'll go back to other parts of his catalog as well. Yeah. So I, my, don't, I don't recommend that some of the stuff on White Light I think I like, yeah. the guitar, I like the guitar playing on it and I will probably go back and learn those there's the one songs. or two tracks in that that yeah. are quite nice I want yeah. to go back uh-huh.
1: and read all the stories as well you know like all the goss and everything because he was good friends with Dennis Hopper and David um, Carradine David
2: Carradine out, uh, of, David he, Carradine, uh, out and, of Kill Bill he did loads of well out of Kung Fu yeah and, and also yeah. Out, out of, out Kung of Kung Big Fu. Stan Big, David Carradine's biggest role in film um, opposite Polly Shore in Big Stan the <laughs> serious prison drama hard hitting <laughs> prison drama <laughs> which some uses rape jokes, honestly, about a thousand times in the space of 90 minutes. Brilliant. <laughs> David Cardin was the one that had a danger wank and died, right?
1: I've no uh, idea.
2: For his sake, I kind of hope so, because it, he didn't want David Cardin to just fade away. He was like a mad perv. Was guy. he? Oh, he was, he was a, a wrong He did, that. was the,
0: what's the guy for NXS? But he, did, like he basically did what he did. Hutchins. Mike, Michael Hutchins. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I don't like to judge a book by its cover, but, I mean, did, did you see him? <laughs> 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 well... Time for Nexus. Nexus.
2: Nexus. 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 A complicated series of connections between different things. So the Nexus this week Is courtesy Of Davy Bright And we weren't sure If it was Jean at first But it's actually it Turns out it was Jean, Jean Rochefort, Rochefort. Dickey you yeah, care to say that in French
1: Yeah Jean Rochefort
2: There you go mm-hmm. uh, So Merci. Jean Rochefort <laughs> Uh French actor Um, Actor, actor, actor. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, French actor, most commonly known to us non-French peoples uh, for his almost role as Don Quixote. Then, mm. um, oh, that's where it. That's well, where it. What is that fucking film called? The La Mancha. That Don
1: Quixote
2: oh. of
1: La Mancha. Yeah.
2: The, the, the man of La Mancha. The, the man of La Mancha. So the, so the one that uh, Terry Gilliam tried to make with Johnny Depp three and times. Vanessa parody. like three times. Yeah. yeah. And there's a mm-hmm. film about them trying to make it. And oh, so Jean Rochefort was meant to be Don Quixote. Right. And one of them, yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, well, he was he was the main choice for it, and then he he had to get removed because he got up on the horse, and you know opinions vary on whether it was a slip. Disc hernias or something to do with his prostate, but basically he couldn't film anymore. He had to be lifted off the horse and taken to hospital. Ouch! Yeah, you're um, thinking Lost in La Mancha. Lost in
1: La Mancha. Yeah, but that's
2: the yeah. documentary, that's documentary yeah, of huh? the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was going to be Don Quixote. So that's how a lot of West, like Westerners, like Francis in the West. fuck's sake, mm. um, that's how a lot of non-French speaking people know him. But he was mm. a very famous uh, French actor as well. I have you know him, man, uh, a lot of non-French people that are known him for one of the roles <laughs> that he was in in one of the films. Oh yeah, think, well, so. yeah, okay, we'll get to that. Anyway, I'm first, because it's my choice. Right. Gene Clark was in the band The Birds, which Mark didn't know before this episode started, <laughs> but somehow inexplicably oh, still thinks that he's famous. <laughs> um, multiple albums by The Birds were produced by a guy called Terry Melcher.
1: Oh, Terry Melcher, he came up in the Beach Boys episode
2: He did, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for a similar reason Because mm-hmm. Terry Melcher's friend Dennis Wilson Had introduced him to Charles Manson He did um, yep. Melcher had eri- er- initially been interested in Manson's music But after witnessing Charles Manson's erratic behaviour Declined to work with him anymore
1: Terry Melcher is Doris Day's son
2: That's right, yeah,
0: he is Also, I want to interject Did uh, Charles Manson not come up on last week's episode as well? Could no, Charles the one, the Manson one before.
1: They're the Nazis here.
0: Could Dave be, Grohl next. We've
1: is. got a, a really dark r- horse race here.
0: Was it not in the Sebedo episode, or one of them? Like somebody had a really almost had an almost, or had met Charles Manson and thought he was a fanny like way back then. I can't
2: remember who it was, but it was a recent episode. Brilliant. There you go. Can't remember. Well, can't remember. Keeping the Nazi tradition up. Um, Melcher owned a house on Cielo Drive in Hollywood with Mm -hmm. his girlfriend that he sold to Roman Polanski. Uh, And that house, unfortunately, became the site of the Tate LaBianca murders, reportedly either to terrorise Melcher or indeed intended to attack him, uh, depending on the version you read. Some people say that Manson knew very well that Melcher had already moved out and this was a sort of psychological warfare thing. That, that contributed to them choosing that site Others were just like, no, Manson was fucked up He forgot, he kept going back to the house Apparently he went there two or three times Previously trying to find Melcher, Despite being told he doesn't live here anymore Anyway, that's why they chose that house Charles Manson's disciples Sarah Bluegood and Lynette Squeaky From uh, Began corresponding With a guy called James Mason uh, In the 1980s Now that's not James Mason, the the famous actor Uh, James Mason went on to be a leading figure In the neo-Nazi movement and the quote Godfather of fascist terrorism And one of the chief ideologues Cited by Atomwaffen Division in the USA Uh, Mason wrote For a journal called Siege I think he actually brought out Siege It was an incredibly fucking dark and horribly popular uh, neo-Nazi zine type thing, journal journal qu- uh, quotes. And that was between 1980 and 86. Um, the work that he did for that was later collated and published as a book of the same name, Siege, by a guy called Michael Moynihan. Mm-hmm. Michael Moynihan is a guy that wrote Lords of Chaos, which was then uh, made into a film. By, right. You know who? By the mm-hmm. Um But James Mason was a member of the American Nazi Party. The deputy Führer of the original Nazi party was a guy called Rudolf Hess, who tried to escape to our very own Bonnie, Scotland, in 1941 to broker a deal to get Britain to drop out of World War II, but instead he actually got nicked, he got lifted by the fuzz and locked up. Believe it or not, guarding Rudolf Hess and also actually guarding uh, Albert Speer in Spandau Prison, where Hess killed himself 46 years later, lol, was Bernard Manning, really? Bernard Manning (laughs) in the army was a prison guard in Spandau Prison. Love it. Oh my god! Love it. Mental, and I I could have gone in a Spandau Ballet direction here. He's
1: a national hero.
2: (laughs) Can you believe it, Ruddy Hell? Bernard Manning Someone
1: offers your cake Throw it in their face And tell them to fuck off
2: <laughs> Bernard Manning Used to tell people That his love child Was Roy Chubby Brown <laughs> <I mean. laughs> In the mid 90s Roy Chubby Brown And Smokey Released a track Called Living Next Door to Alice Which was a Smokey song mm-hmm. Remember oh. Alice Alice Who the fuck is Alice Alice oh. Uh, that vocal counterpoint <laughs> Was apparently um, Started by German fans of Smokey Smokey were really big in Germany My dad
1: loves Smokey yeah,
2: Well they were huge in Germany Much bigger than they, are, they, they were here um, And the German fans used to shout us back So like, who the fuck is that Anyway Was it Roger B. Brown? No I think it was Bernard Manning Actually had a joke about Alice from that song Oh after 20 years If you're not giving it to her No wonder she fucked off <laughs> Anyway <laughs> um, So <laughs> Smokey, the band, some of the members used to co-write songs And <laughs> this is mental Kevin Keegan released a pop single called Head Over Heels In Love With uh, one of the writers from Smokey Kevin Keegan, the
1: English footballer
2: Kevin Keegan, the English footballer It went to number 31 in the UK Number 20 in Austria And number 10 in Germany yes, it looks like- he was actually playing football in Germany at the He thing. had a
1: mullet didn't he And Germans love mullets
2: uh, Yeah he also mm-hmm. a, a, what, what company Was it Hamburg That he played for <laughs> I think he played for Hamburg And it was a surprise choice Anyway Who cares about Kevin Keegan But in 1996 The Germans Yeah the Germans And someone else that cares about Keegan Is uh, Sugar Puffs Because in 1996 Kevin Keegan did a Sugar Puffs advert With Honey Monster uh, Honey Monster's wearing the Newcastle strip And he jumps up And the headers it into the goal last chance now.
0: In it comes Monsters the
2: Puffs are delicious light puffs of wheat. So the Honey Monster animatronic suit from that advert was made by Jim Henson's Creature Shop and the head of the suit was actually on display at their London headquarters. Creature Shop also created the animatronic Jake the Tiger from the Doctor Dolittle movie, Eddie Murphy. And the voice of Jake the Tiger in the redubbed version of the movie was done by Jean Rochefort.
1: Oh wow.
2: Smashing. What an ecstasy. Amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you took quite the detour there. That's some belters in there. The Bernard
2: Manning in Spandau Prison. Wow. My jaw hit the floor. Totally. So uh, the biggest song the birds ever
0: did was probably Mr Tambourine Man, Mm -hmm. which we've discussed a few times, um, which was written by Bob Dylan. Mark Scott says he's done two documentaries on Bob Dylan. hmm
2: One in two thousand
0: five and one in two thousand nineteen. Uh what was the name of the f- the second one was The Rolling Thunder Review, which is kinda of like half fictional, half Is do not Look
1: Back one of them? Yeah, no. that's the actual mm-hmm.
0: that's the actual documentary one. Um, he also directed a film in nineteen eighty five called The Last Temptation of Christ by with Willem Defoe. Um Belter. Uh, Willem- Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, Big Willie.
1: <laughs> Big Willie <laughs> <laughs> Apparently so um, <laughs>
0: I'm something of a scientist myself, Defoe um, <laughs> he starred in Mr Bean's Holiday alongside Jean Rochefort <laughs> 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 So uh, Yep um, so
1: Amazing It's
0: kind of kind of mental but yeah and Oh my god 2007 film uh, Jean Rochefort yeah, he, he's basically the Metro d at a hotel so it's not, like even, it's not even like a big role but yeah William Defoe has a reasonable role in it as Carson Clay so yeah,
1: Amazing
0: They have actually been on screen together which is Affluent, frankly
1: <laughs> Awesome, okay so Harold Eugene Clark was a founding member of the 1960s folk rock band The Birds The Birds um, recorded and had international success with a cover of Pete Seeger's song Turn 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 in 1965. I really like that song. It, like several other birds' tracks, epitomized that jangly mid 1960s folk rock hippie counterculture sound, which is probably why it was chosen for the Forrest Gump soundtrack, um, the 1994 film. Um, and it's you hear it at the part where Forrest meets Jenny in Washington, they're at an anti war rally, and she's become a kind of drug adult yeah, hippie. Yeah. So Forrest Gump. The eponymous hero of that story Is portrayed by American actor Tom Hanks Probably one of the most recognisable actors Of the last 50 years Thanks Um, What films has Tom Hanks been in?
0: Uh, He was in None I don't think that was his only film. <laughs> I think he was in that new film where he where he, where he played
2: like uh, Elvis's dad.
1: Oh, so <laughs> he was. Mm-hmm. The
2: main the, the, the main film he's been in is mm-hmm. Bachelor Party. He did a bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff. That yeah. Was... Uh
1: uh-huh. The man with the one red shoe. That one. Yeah. Yeah. It was a classic. <laughs> <laughs> that <right>. was <laughs> his, his personal yeah, favorite. I we, we we loved that back in yeah. the
0: yeah. you yeah. know? Uh, what, a weird sort of sidebar, but he only think he, out of all the films that he's done, he says only he thinks only five of them are I, actually I read that good, list. Yeah. Which is yeah. didn't say which five they were. Right. No, now. Probably the man did with they? the he one
1: did. red shoe. Yeah. So, I mean, the man with the one the, red shoe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that, he said that's one of the worst things he did. <laughs> nice.
1: Well, Even if he didn't like it, we loved it as kids. We watched it all the time. It was an absolute classic. But what we didn't realise about that beloved classic from our childhood was that it was actually a remake of a 1972 French film called Le Grand Blanc avec une chaussure noire which means the tall blonde man with a black shoe, directed by Yves Robert and starring Jean Rochefort nice. as Colonel Louis Toulouse. Nice. So there you go.
2: Jinx indeed. Jinx indeed.
1: Is that, actually, you can get there quite quickly from Jean Clark. I mm-hmm. thought I was going to struggle with but that You could get bit.
2: there even quicker because in the back cover of No Other, Jean Clark is posing like some kind of weird Rod Stewart
1: He's in drag Robert Plant He's got yeah. a perm
2: He's got this dick print And his perm and the,
1: the, Oh my god The bulge
2: <laughs> That was a 70s man Yes like We've already been there With Willem Dafoe But um, Jim, yeah.
1: Jim Morrison In Morrison Hotel Just if anyone's interested Right okay Sorry. sticky fingers
2: We could just start talking About <laughs> dick prints For the rest of the show Funnily enough though In that picture He is posing on the grounds Of what's his name
1: Barrymore John Barrymore It was Drew Barrymore's
2: grandfather Drew Barrymore's granddad. And I'm pretty sure We could uh, Nexus we'll are way Pretty quickly From Drew Barnmore To mm-hmm. Sean Roche Fire mm-hmm. Michael Barrymore <laughs>
1: <laughs> Exactly
2: Maybe <laughs> you
1: trying to think a joke About a dead person In a swimming pool there
2: It's neither the time Nor the terrible. place mm-hmm. That's terrible That's <laughs> terrible Something with Tom Hanks favourite four films <laughs> In terms of things You just didn't talk about In a podcast
1: um. mm.
2: <laughs> uh, So next week Talking about things You didn't want to talk about In a podcast The Gaslight Anthem We don't know if we're doing that yet, so I would say maybe not. Well, let's take a fucking gamble. Let's say we're doing it, and then if we're not doing it, it'll be like the new Lil' Kim show.
0: Okay, (laughs) yeah, fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) Much, much postponed. (laughs) Hopefully not. But with Marissa, hopefully. I'm
1: glad that I won't be here for that. Are you, mate?
2: Yeah. You couldn't tell. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Fucking, they're a great band. Um, Apparently it'll be fine. So it'll be fine. Uh, (laughs) And then soon after that, We've got a fifth birthday episode coming yeah, up. Yeah, we do. And that fifth birthday episode, are, are we okay to tease it now? We can tease it just now, yeah. Uh huh. So, for the fifth birthday episode, we're going to revisit. Speaking of bulges, <laughs> Weaver? <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go, Dave. Um, but uh, yeah, fifth birthday episode is going to take us back to uh, our first ever interview and a debate that ensued. In the midst of an episode That was meant to be about Jonah Matranga But ended up mostly being an argument about Kiss and Motley Crue Mm -hmm. And we are going to revisit that And we're going to revisit it With our boy Dave on board And fur is going to fly
1: I'm glad I'm not going to be here
2: for oh, that. Oh, you're
0: going to love it. I've, I'm coming up. I'm coming up. I haven't devised it yet, but I have some ideas. I'm going to come up with a scoring system for this. <laughs> right. So. I mean, need a referee to be fair, Vicky So if you're free that night, oh, um, I'm, I'm the referee. I, I have no horse in this race. I was just. I was just I Look, was, you're the Joe Rogan. No, I was. I was literally just bam, just bumming him up. <laughs> so, um, you're you're so, on the outside
2: of the ring. So it's
1: Motley Crue versus Kiss. Who's better?
2: Basically, they're aye.
1: both shite. All oh, we'll will end it right here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but one of them was less shite than the other. Go back. One of them is
1: less shite. Mm. Back, and is less yeah, and it yeah, is kiss. Hey, There you go. Yeah, See,
2: you've got that a side. Oh, right. is. Yeah. Anyway, so wow. <laughs> we've started too soon, right? That's going to happen. That's the fifth birthday. And then that'll be followed by, oh my god, the Christmas special. Soon after. Vicky, you'll be there for that, uh, pal. (laughs) You've not got a choice. I'll be there. Unlike last year.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't there last year either.
2: body. (laughs) Um, So yeah, uh, looking forward to that. Hopefully that whets some appetites. And yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. uh, don't forget to share
0: this podcast If you can On any of your social medias I mean Nobody's really using Facebook anymore So you can use that If you want But Twitter and Instagram Are also totally fine uh, We appreciate the shares It does lead to people Going way back to the start Of the episode It does lead to people And some of the bands We talk about actually, Not Gene not Clark Because he's did <laughs> yeah, if, he <laughs> if he gets in touch <laughs> If <definitely, laughs> yeah, Really it. interesting <laughs> um, But you know Amplify this The more that the artists Are going to hear
2: it And, and that makes it our day And it makes it their day I'm also really keen To start making inroads With the Chinese government So if you put it on TikTok They'll definitely pick it up Mm, Bite dance baby (laughs) Uh, Yeah Tell people about us That would help us out Thanks a lot
1: Cheers Bye